Back on the program. This is Outside the Box, this live edition, Friday afternoon, October the 23rd, even. Uh, I am the one and only H to the Izzo, baby. Hank Xavier, if you know me. With me today is my good friend and, uh, and, and guide, often often a guide through the, uh, through the confusion and malaise that is uh, political ideology these days. There's just so much spin and twisting and doublespeak and Orwellian kind of weirdy, weirdy, weird, weirdness going on. Stefan, you know, you really are a light in the dark because you, uh, you approach these things with the, uh, in the light of reason and with humor and with really uh, just a uh, uh, an, uh, a friendly sort of rationality uh, that I find to be uh, you know quite appealing and it, it reaches uh, a broad number of people. Well, I appreciate that, uh, HX, and I really do feel left out because I feel everybody in the radio show has a cool two two letter acronym except me. So I'm going to be bald <laughs> sophist or BS for short. Uh, so oh, if you can BS? just have people refer. I'm going to try and get that. My former name, my rap name, was Big Chatty Forehead, but uh, that seems to have fallen into disuse. So uh, I feel like I'm much more hip now so uh, i'd appreciate that all right mcbs right here on <laughs> outside right. the box today <laughs> gonna spit some anarchism today and, and steph what we're going to do today is we're going to get a little a little bit of this and a little bit little bit of that we're going to try to uh, toss some of the more common arguments against anarchism uh that i hear at you and uh, get get your response and uh then we'll do a little bit of news commentary later on uh, but i really feel like this audience uh needs uh to hear what anarchism is uh, rather than what it's perceived to be uh, according to the mainstream media. So, uh, so we, uh, so anarchism is chaos, <laughs> guns in the streets, warlords, um, the, only the strongest survive. The worst elements of, 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 of uh, uh, Darwinism rise to the top. The, uh, the, the, the strong slay the weak. Uh, why is that wrong? <laughs> well, um, anarchism is simply the consistent application of a principle which just about everyone agrees with, right? The whole trick with, with thinking, uh, and this is true of science and it's true of philosophy and it's true of medicine, is to simply be as consistent as possible in your principles. So we have this principle which we all learn about from our parents, we all learn about in kindergarten, we all learn about in, in uh, from cops, right, which is don't initiate force against other people. That is uh, a principle. And, you know, when Einstein sort of took a principle called the speed of life is constant and just made that a universal constant, then uh, we got some amazing and terrifying things out of it, nuclear power, nuclear weapons, and all these wonderful things sure. that, that uh, can the science, modern science can do. And in the same way, anarchism is simply the application of the principle that you should not initiate force against others. And what it, if we make that a universal principle, we come up with some very surprising things. And it seems weird to people, right? In the same way that the first guy uh, who said that uh, the world was round was sort of laughed and mocked. Oh, come on, it doesn't even look round. If the world was round, we'd all be rolling off it, you know, like sweat off a golf ball or something. But uh, <laughs> it's, it, when we simply take these principles and apply them consistently, we end up with a stateless society because taxation is the initiation of force. A state is a small group of people who have the legal rights to initiate force against others in a geographical area. Now, we can say that's okay, but then we can't say that the initiation of force is wrong, right? Then we, we just throw all of our principles out the window. Now, when we have a society where we have thrown all of our principles out the window, that to me seems like a war of all against all, even if it's a, quote, civilized war like we see in democracy where the government is herding all this money back and forth between various interest groups and taking over this organization and overfunding that organization and cutting the funding of their enemies and rewarding their friends and bailing out the banks. And, right, that to me, that is anarchy. But that is they're chaos. now deciding, deciding the pay scale of, uh, of, of corporate CEOs in America. Yeah, now. I mean, that, that to me is anarchy. That is chaos. Where we're heading to financially, that is anarchy. That is chaos in the traditional sense. A stateless society is simply us saying, hey, you know what? We have a principle called don't use force to solve complex social problems. We're going to apply that consistently, which means we don't hit our kids. We, don't, we get rid of the government you know, and, and all that kind of stuff. And there's lots of ways in which problems can be solved without initiating force. And the people who defend the initiation of force is fine. I just want them to be honest and say, yes, putting guns to people's head is a great way to achieve social goals. But 
you know that people aren't behind an idea when they can't state the reality of that idea openly, when they have to use euphemisms like a social contract or whatever, right? Or you get to vote like that means any, anything, right? <laughs> so I, I just want honesty from the people who claim that violence is a great way to solve social problems. I also want them to say why only some people get to use violence and not everyone, right? So some guy likes public schooling. Uh, I think it's vile and destructive to children. Uh, so I can't go around to my neighborhood with a gun and collect money for my school. So why does the government get to do it? And uh, no matter how many times you ask this question, how many people you ask, you will never get a straight answer as to why there are these two worlds. People over here who can use all the violence that they want in the world to achieve their goals and everybody else who can't. That to me is corrupt and it leads to what people traditionally associate anarchism. I mean, the fall of the Roman Empire came around directly because of expanding welfare state and militarism, as we see in the United States. And there you got anarchy. You, you, you devolved into warring tribes. You, you had the feudal system, which was terribly uh, anarchic and destructive. And so we're trying to avert what people call anarchy. We're not trying to bring it about. Yeah, I think it's a it's uh, it's an unfortunate reality, Steph, that uh, that that we live in a society where we we can no longer trust the nature of words. Uh, we can no longer trust the nature of their meaning uh, because they've they can be so distorted and so manipulated in 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 the mainstream media because the mainstream media is so pervasive and it's absolutely everywhere. It completely constructs the entire uh, macro social perspective of the entire society as a whole. You know, so I mean, they can take a word like anarchy, which really means you know, individual responsibility and, and voluntary action and uh, uh, making contracts with one another and negotiation and rational self-interest and turn it into uh, 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 guns and warlords. Yeah, I mean, and, I, uh, sorry, I have a free book called Everyday Anarchy, which points out that most of the social institutions that we inhabit and treasure and value are completely anarchic, right? I mean, the, the marriage market, the dating market, the job market is completely anarchic. There's no government agency that tells you who to marry. I mean, there are a few that tell you who you can't marry if you happen to be gay, which is terrible. But, um, but th most of the things that we so value and treasure, we rely upon voluntarism, right? And, and if the government organized everybody's marriage, said, you have to get married to this person, you have to stay married to that person, and so on. And then someone came along and said, you know, I think people should be free to choose who they want to marry. And, every, and then everybody would say, oh, but if that happens, then there'll be rapes and burnings and pillages and witch hunts. And, you know, and that would just be a, a, a scare story. The idea that if people get to choose and do things voluntarily, that incredible disasters will result is just a pathetic scare story from people who have no damn good arguments at all. Well, you know, I happen to be probably one of the few gay men that you'll run across that is actually against gay marriage. I'm against all state marriage, uh, period. I think that the reason that divorce rates are so high is that people can't can't, can't uh, reconsider later on without dire consequences because the state is standing there with a gun to their head and, you know, uh, uh, is going to mediate all this, uh, all these court issues and split up families and split up property and do all this stuff when really all we need to do is just figure out a way way to go, okay, let's talk about this in a rational way between us and come, with a, come up with an agreement that we need. So I'm a gay man that's against gay marriage. I, I'm against uh, state-sponsored marriage, period. I'm with you uh, there, equality, brother. It, equality and absence of the state. We'll be right back on Outside the Box. I'm the HX filling in for Alex. We'll be right back. Media dominates the American We are back on the program this afternoon, Friday afternoon, October the 23rd. I am the HX filling in for Alex Ansari. We'll be back next Thursday, I believe. So I'm going to be filling in today, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. I'm going to try to bring you a few more guests next week as well. I am the HX, and with me today is... Uh, uh, is one of the uh, best speakers on voluntarism and the uh, and the need for the stateless society today, uh, Stefan Molino. Stefan, welcome back to the show. Thanks. Did you choose the music for the show, or is that something you inherited? Uh, this is actually uh, this is uh, Alex Ansari's uh, bumper music. I was going to say because a gay man playing Roxy music, I was just wondering whether I should start voguing and how cliched we were going to get. But you know, I just wanted to point that out. So. Next up, Boy George. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> all right, right, right. Let's all put on our karma chameleons, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. 
<laughs> so, Steph, here's another argument that I hear all the time, and especially and especially coming out of the genre of of you know various patriot uh, ideologies, various constitutionalist uh, uh, ideologies. I hear this a lot from paleoconservatives, and uh, uh, and I wonder if you could respond to it as well. Anarchism is socialism. Socialism is bad. Anarchism and socialism, well, I mean, <laughs> you can say up is down, black is white if you want, but that's not going to get you out of the uh, garage, right? So uh, anarchism well, is – Well, don't, don't we see a huge block of, of people who self-identify as anarchists uh, 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 who, are, who, who say this precise thing that anarchism is socialism? Oh, absolutely. There is uh, someone called uh, – there's a group called anarcho-socialists. Uh, they seem to me to be entirely incomprehensible. But uh, – <laughs> and that's why, see, to me, it's really – tough to say I'm an anarchist uh, because it, it comes with so much baggage uh, and it comes with so much, well, this kind and not that kind. I mean, I prefer to call myself a philosopher or whatever uh, simply because I'm sort of reasoning from first principles. One of the things that comes out of that reasoning from first principles like no aggression or no initiation of force is a stateless society. Does that mean I'm an anarchist? Well, if you say that, that's like Dawkins saying, I'm an evolutionist. No, he's a biologist. And evolution is one of the things that he accepts as a scientific biologist. So mm. uh, I don't like to say, well, I'm an anarchist because that is to plant your flag in a conclusion. What I like to do is to reason from first principles, make the arguments, and the conclusion is that a stateless society is the only moral and, by the way, practical way to, to organize social uh, social pro solutions to social problems. So, um, so yeah, there's lots of people out there who will say I'm an anarchist socialist. Uh, and of course, my question to them, and they always have this idea, you know, we're all going to live in one big flesh pile hippie commune exchanging various diseases <laughs> and, you know, bacteria and so on. And, and that's fine. I mean, and if people want to buy up a bunch of land and all live in, uh, you know, mud huts and, uh, you know, uh, grapple with their pigs on a daily basis, that to me is entirely fine. That's grapple their, with their pigs. Yeah, they, they, can, they can do that. But, uh, and, and that's entirely compatible with a free society, right? I mean, as long as they're not initiating force against others, that's totally fine. Um, but the problem is that they, they, they mistake very often Proudhon's uh, statement, property is theft. What he meant was state property, state and force property, that most wealth arises from crime, which I think historically we can look at and see is actually quite true in many ways. And they say, well, there shouldn't be any property. And then the question always comes, well, um, who is going to enforce that there is no property? It has to be somebody that you give an enormous number of resources to, weaponry and control right. and so on. So socialism automatically implies a state because you're saying society has to be this way. right? Has to, there's no property. We have to share everything equally. Everyone's income has to be the same. And then the question is if you want the outcome to be uh, egalitarian or socialistic or whatever, then you need a big gang with a big bunch of guns herding all the resources around to make sure that everything is equal. That is not uh, uh, anarchism. The moment that you have a, a centralized group of thugs with weapons, that's statism, and that is socialism, that is fascism, that is Nazism, communism, whatever you want to call it. The whole idea behind a voluntary society is that there is no big group of people with guns who get to order everyone around and call it virtuous and let you pick up a few crumbs from the tables of your masters. The idea is that nobody gets to initiate the use of force morally, which means there is no government, uh, there is property rights, you can't have a society without property rights. You also can't make an argument against property rights without exercising the right of self-ownership, i.e. I am making this argument from which all other property rights derive. So there's no logical and consistent way to argue for a, a, an, an anarchic socialism or anarcho-communism or whatever, even anarcho-libertarianism, I've heard that phrase, which to me is completely bizarre. <laughs> a little bit of force, yet no force, right? That doesn't make any sense. Right. So uh, I would just say, no, no, I'm, a, I'm against the initiation of force to solve social problems. I, I use the word anarchism because it's easier than if I use some flibbit word, right? I'm a flibbit right? And then people say, well, what is that? Oh, that's a government-free government, uh, government -free society. Well, isn't that anarchism? No, it's flibbit right? So I just use the word and then make sure that I, I tell people this is not a position that I have. It is a conclusion that I have come to from a reasoning from first principles. Very, very interesting. Uh, you know, I think it, it, we do tend to we do tend to uh, sort of um, sort of wrap ourselves up in our own in our own labels uh, sometimes. And I think that's uh, you know that's I think you're right. Sometimes that's 
uh, is detrimental uh, because that could then be spun around and used against you. But I, so I so I I like the idea of arguing from first principles, uh, saying you know we we own ourselves and so property rights sort of follow. Um, uh, another argument that I hear all the time, uh, especially from Marxists, is uh, the idea uh, that profit is somehow evil. That um, that and and of course this you know speaks to capitalism more specifically. Uh, but you know this is a capitalist society, and a lot of the people who listen uh, to this broadcast consider themselves to be uh, capitalists. Uh, so profit is evil. Yeah, I mean that's the, to, to use a rough metaphor, and I apologize for this, but I think it's important. Um, if you define all lovemaking as rape, then all lovemaking is evil. And if you define all all profit as theft, then of course property uh, profit is evil. But but it's just an incorrect definition. What happens is people confuse. The predations of state mercantilist, quote, capitalism, right, the, the sort of semi-fascistic system that Michael Moore, I think, pretty effectively skewers in his recent movie. If you say that everybody who makes money uh, is doing so, it, it, it's a profit and they're doing it illegitimately, right? They're using the government or some sort of laws or they're ripping off their workers, stealing from people. Then, of course, if you define all profit as theft, then profit is immoral. But that's not the technical definition of profit, right? The, tec- the technical definition of profit is not, well, I invested in a ninja costume, which cost me 10 bucks, and then I broke into someone's house and stole jewels worth $1,000, right? So I'm up $990, right? That's I have a profit. No, that's just theft, right? The, the technical, at least, definition of profit is, um, you know, the, the, uh, the value add that both parties receive from a free market interaction, right? So if I have $5 and you have a pen and you want uh, $5 more than you want a pen and I want a pen more than I want $5, then, you know, you will, we'll, we'll have that exchange and we'll both be better off. We've both profited because we both have something uh, from the exchange that we didn't have before that we want more than what we had before. So it's, a, it's an absolute improvement. And so when there is a voluntary interaction, the profit accrues to both parties, and uh, people just – they don't understand that because they've just heard, you know, all profit is, is you know, banks that uh, uh, pillage people and so on that, that through the help of the government and so on that that's profit. But it's not. That's just theft. And uh, the, the voluntary interaction to mutual advantage is where profit occurs. I mean the guy who works in a factory is profiting from relative to any other job or not working in a factory in a free market society. Why? Because he's making more money because of the capital investment in the machinery that the – evil factory owner has put in, uh, he is making more money than he would have if he started his own factory, at least that's what he believes at the time, or if he just, you know, I don't know, tried to make cars in his backyard with an erecto set or something, right? So, <laughs> right on. Great response. We're actually coming up against a break. Yeah, no problem. We'll pick it up, up, man. Thanks. Yeah, we want to talk about surplus labor, and uh, uh, we want to get you to uh, deconstruct that as well, sure. that Marxist idea, when we get yeah. back. Back in the program, you have tuned in to Outside the Box. I am the HX filling in for Alex Ansary. Great bumper music that Alex Ansary has on this program. I just, I just got musical whiplash. I'm trying <laughs> Brian, sorry know, to, I'm like, what was that, uh, John Wayne with a cold? <laughs> Uh, I don't know. It made me want to go posse up and go hunt me down some, uh, you know, <laughs> some criminals or something. Get deputized by the local sheriff and go hunt them down. And, you know, that's even though you're like. talking about cowboys, I'm not going to make a single Brokeback Mountain joke just for you. That's, already gone. <laughs> that's too easy. That's too easy. That's what I'm saying. You know, you'd get no points for that one. Either. There's low hanging anyway. fruit. And then that's just the stuff you step on. right? <laughs> low hanging fruit. You better stop it. You got <laughs> Uh, alexansory.com is the website today Uh, you'll be able to uh, go there and find a chat room I think I think it's somewhere uh, on the site here it's a great site by the way alexansory.com a-l-e-x-a-n-s-a-r-y dot com all one word and I think he's got a chat link there somewhere Um, not precisely sure but I will get familiar with this site so I can tell you all better about it Monday uh, so I don't let him down in that capacity. He'll be back Wednesday. Uh, but today we've got Stefan Molino on the line. FreedomainRadio.com. FreedomainRadio.com. An excellent source 
for excellent ideas, most excellent ideas. I highly encourage this listening audience to go and check out uh, Stefan's work. Uh, he has an, 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 an epic body of work going on over there. And uh, just always good stuff to dig into, and to really, man, it just really breaks down uh, the uh, the the false perceptions that are built up by the mainstream media. It's like you know, uh, I I just envision like like your work, Steph. I envision this giant um this giant sort of electrical light board, right, with just like a thousand, hundred thousand switches all over this big thing, and like uh, as you consume your material you know it's like you're just walking down this row of switches flipping them on one at a time <laughs> well that's a very nice way of putting it i appreciate that thank you yeah so you've got some you're you're going to be putting out something new this afternoon you said oh, i just i just finished a a, a really uh, i'm very very proud of this uh, video it is on uh, it's called money is you uh, and it details what is actually occurring when the government is running up foreign debt uh, what is actually being sold. I'll be putting that out later today. So I'm sure well, people can check that out if they subscribe to uh, uh, Freedom Aid Radio on YouTube. Right on. And and I think on the Mike Chambers show, I think I caught this right. Uh, one of the guests there at the end was talking about Social Security checks are going to have uh, start having stamps uh, as being paid by uh, China <laughs> at some point soon. I just caught that in passing. I'll have to go back and, and check that out, look that up. Uh, but wouldn't that be something? Well, whether they have the stamps or not, it's still somewhat true, right? You're right, right. Oh, did you catch what Anita Dunn uh, said a few days ago? No, I don't think so. Oh, Stefan, you totally missed. Anita Dunn is the White House Communications Director under Obama, and uh, she she came out recently, or or it was sometime, uh, not uh, sometime in the in the in the recent past. Uh, I don't know if it it was like further in the past and the video just now came out or if it's recent the video came out but uh it was a speech of her behind this freaking podium with her bob haircut having self praising chairman mao as one of her favorite political philosophers <laughs> well wasn't he the guy who said that political power flows out of the barrel of a gun so maybe we're getting more honesty from the ruling classes and that's not always a bad thing <laughs> I mean, at least then it can be it could be, you know, uh, legitimately opposed to, uh, you know, if as long as we I don't have any problem like, you know, like you, I don't have any problem facing down the reality of the argument. Uh, it's when they it's it's when they twist and when they become Orwellian that they're the most dangerous because you can't nail the arguments down at that point. Yeah, because you can manipulate language, but you can't manipulate reality, which is why sophists will always try to redefine language. Uh, you can't turn a gun uh, – you can't say to a gun, turn into a flower and have it turn into a flower, but you can redefine a gun as a social contract and something you're obligated and, and dem democratic uh, uh, um, participation, and suddenly uh, the gun is not a gun because the language has covered it. But uh, that's why people love to manipulate language and try to avoid reality as much as possible because reality is kind of intransigent that way. Yeah, I just I just couldn't believe it. We actually have a caller on the line. We're going to go to uh, Michael Pine from California here in just a few moments. But I just couldn't believe it. It was like, you know, Anita Dunn standing up there praising Mao and talking about, you know, she uh, when she's unsure in her political life, this is one of the people that she turns to. She talks about she spoke about uh, Chairman Mao and Mother Teresa in the same breath and which was just. Well, um, Mao was a communist and Teresa supported fascists. So maybe they're not that far apart. Sorry, yeah, let's get to your caller. That's true. Uh, but, it, you know, for me, it's be like, you know, she she might as well just been standing up there talking about, you know, when I'm in doubt and I don't know what to do in my life and I just need some direction. You know who I turn to? I just crack open Mein Kampf and start start reading. And, 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 and I just get inspired by the words of Adolf Hitler. Uh, they just lead me to the light. Well, don't uh, sorry. Just before we get to the caller, the, the other 1984 reference is that the war, uh, the, the war switches all the time, Eurasia and East Asia. Right. So we were at war with communism, right? And uh, China was the enemy. And now China uh, is the friend because we need their money. And there's no reference to this. We have always been at war with Eurasia, you know, and this kind of stuff. It is, uh, it is just amazing uh, to see how, how this slides over and what a genius Orwell was that way. Right. Uh, Michael Pine, you're live on Outside the Box today with our special guest, Stefan Molino on the HX. Go ahead with your question. Yes. Are you talking to me? Yes, Mike. Uh, Mike from California. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah, this is Mo from Oregon, actually. Oh, hi, Mo. Uh, Something's uh, wrong with our fine. little broadcast yeah, here. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Thank you so much. First of all, if you go to alexsensory.com and just uh, below, uh, I mean, it was on the top, 
uh, I just go scroll down. It will say uh, a very it said meet up with Alex every Wednesday, and just go a little bit down. It says visit visit the chat room during the show. You can click on that. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, yeah. So, okay, where the chat room is. There it is. I see that. It's so it's in the scroll down a little bit. It's in the second column, uh, the second first column, the first column on the left side at the very bottom. Visit chat room during the show at alexansery.com. Thanks a lot, Mo. Yeah, yeah, no problem. I have a a comment also, too. I mean, uh, in 1984, I mean, this guy was ahead of himself. Um, much he was like flash forward, uh, much uh, ahead of himself, ahead of when he wrote that book, and then they made a movie out of it too. But the bottom line is this: that um, you know, once we see that two hundred thousand uh, American citizens in Detroit don't have electric, and right now is a cold weather, matter of fact, and uh, or some people they don't have uh, water. She is shut off in United States. They so what uh, suppose we have to do? I know anarchism anarchism uh, is not the way to go. But uh, I mean, we cannot go uh, to be violent either. Mm. So we have uh, my best way thing is Gandhi's way. I mean, let them if we go in, united together as a whole country, because they divide us and concord. But we should tell them, hell with you guys. We are going to be united, and we are going to go to the uh, streets like Gandhi did. Let them kill. Let them uh, kill the row first, second row, third row. But how many more KPL people can they kill? Yeah, that's the question. Sorry, I just wanted to, I just wanted to mention. Two million. Uh, what, what, I don't think it was Gandhi's what, intention what, 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 that yeah. civilians would be mown down. I mean, I know that happened at Amritsar and other places, and it happened in particular uh, right. around the India-Pakistani border. I, I I agree with you that violence is in no way, shape, or form the solution to the problems of statism. Uh, statism is an irrational and destructive philosophy, and the only way to combat the effects of irrationality and destructive ideas is with rational and peaceful ideas. Uh, It is an educational process. In my view, it is a multi-generational process. There has been no enormous change in the structure of human society that I've ever heard of that took less than at least three generations. And we may get a little faster because of the internet, but the internet is a tool available to good people and bad people. So uh, I think that it is around education. It is around patience. I do not believe that anybody alive now will live to see a stateless society any more than the people in the 15th and 16th centuries who first began talking about the evils of slavery lived to the 19th century when slavery was abolished. But uh, there is no way to get there without starting here. And I think that the greater honor goes to those who take the first steps. Excellent response. Mo, well, you can stick around and uh, respond again if you'd like after the break. We're up against it right now. Outside the box, alexansery.com. I'm the HX filling in. Stick around. We'll be right back. We are back on the show. <laughs> this is outside the box, and and I don't, uh, Stefan, I don't know where did where did Alex Ansari find the HX theme song there? I don't, you know, I I think that he's got an iPod setting, which is not the genius playlist. It's just schizoid. I think that's you know, just push that button as if I have multiple personalities that have no knowledge of each other. Uh, what music would <laughs> would each one like? That's my theory. Anyway. And that's not this the guy. Who's yeah, the that's that's the soundtrack that I hear in my head when I walk down the street. By the way, <laughs> I you know as I as I as I cruise past the hasty tasty in my in my Reeboks kicks, right. uh, that's the music going on in my head. Very nice. Uh, when I you know, flip the collar, snap the fingers, you know. 
<laughs> uh, we still got Mo on the line today on Outside the Box. Uh, once again, I am the HX filling in for Alex Ansari. He'll be back next Thursday. Uh, I'm going to be with you until then. Uh, we still got Mo on the line. Mo, you want to wrap it up with a comment? Yeah, sure. Indeed. I mean, but the bottom line is what Gandhi did uh, is generally is for every other country like Iran in within two weeks uh, time. Uh, the Iranians are going into the streets, chained together them, their hands, and they're going to the streets silent. They're not saying any word. So what the hell they can do? Let the, the terrorist government of Iran uh, shoot the people. Okay, the first, they will go down. Second, go down. Third, go down. Fourth, go down. They can kill one million, two million, three million, hundred million 100 million Iranians. I mean, not hundreds, I mean, uh, 20 million. Again, 50 million Iranians will live in peace. You see what I'm saying? Mm. I mean, if revolution or evolution. If revolution means you have to be about peace uh, where the Gandhi go, went, Gandhi's way. Uh, otherwise, uh, they will uh, use, mashallah, anywhere in the world. If people react violently, then they, they give them the tools Say, well, these people are violent, and uh, violence brings violence, and then uh, then bring mashallah to the any country, generally speaking. So Iranian now decided to change their tactics. So within two weeks, there is going to be mass demonstration across Iran about Gandhi's. I mean, they don't care if they shoot them. Okay, the first line, first hundred people die, second mm. die. I mean, this will be all put on YouTube, put on to, and then they cannot do it. At one point, they become, they run away. The soldiers will run away because they say, wow, what the hell we have done? Yeah, no, sorry uh, to interrupt. To I, I, I agree with you that when people see the violence that is in the statist kind of system, that they recoil. I just don't think you need waves of people dying in order to show the violence that is inherent within statism. All you need is a moral and philosophical examination of the premises of statism and then you see that it, it guarantees people the right, uh, if not the obligation, to initiate force against people who are almost in inevitably disarmed. And so I don't think that we need waves of people dying to see the violence in the system. I think we need to just continue to make the arguments uh, as clear and consistently as possible about the violence that is inherent in an organization like the state. And I think once we can see it in our mind very clearly, the gun in the room, as I keep talking about, to keep pointing out the gun in the room that is involved in any state of society, then people can see the violence uh, conceptually and we don't need to see it physically because we understand that it's there and we will have the same revulsion against the use of violence and we won't need to see people being gunned down in order to turn away from such a monstrous system. And can I, ju can I just also right, say that I uh, hold on, Mo. That I, I have to disagree. I have to disagree some. Uh, I, I've often said that there's really no revolution without consequence, and I have to look back. I have to look into the nature of humanity uh, as we stand. The reality of us, and the reality of us is that we we naturally self-preservate. We tend to choose courses in life that that lead to our own preservation. Uh, I, I don't think that uh, I don't think that there's anything wrong uh, with saying that that we are under direct attack and. We we have the right as a human being on planet Earth to self-preservate and to, to defend ourselves. Uh, so I, I, I often have found that Gandhi's way is not my way. Uh, although I do respect Gandhi and, and everything he did, his path was his way that fit his circumstances and don't necessarily fit these. Uh, because I believe that 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 this system, this uh, this machine will declare martial law and 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 hand down all of these oppressions regardless of what we do. Uh, this has been the, the the, the history and fact that we've observed so far, uh, we haven't had a violent uh, uprising or a, or uh, an exceptionally violent response to these oppressions so far, and yet these oppressions persist and continue and grow even, and they're worse today than they've ever been uh, before. Uh, so I think that that we absolutely have a right and even a duty at a certain point to draw the line and say here and no further beyond this point is dire consequences. Well, That's uh, the nature of self-preservation. Sorry, just to, to, to back you up, I think there, not to go against necessarily what Mo's saying, but 
Um, biologically, we are constructed to survive, not to be free. And if the only way that we can survive is to bow down to tyranny, then that's what almost every human being will do. And there are a few exceptions. But uh, biologically, it wouldn't make much sense to go up against the tribal leaders, get killed and not reproduce. Those genes would have been weeded out of, of sort of rebellion at all costs. Those genes would have been weeded out pretty early on in human evolution. And so the reality is that most people will choose to live under a tyranny rather than die fighting it. And this is, we see this all, I mean, look at 70 years of, of Russia when they, they slaughtered tens of millions of people in China and North Korea and Cambodia and blah, 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 right? People choose to live under tyranny and find whatever happiness they can in their lives rather than die fighting it. And so given that that's a reality, and certainly everyone on this show and most of the people I'm listening who aren't listening from prison have taken that choice, right? We're not saying, well, I'm taxation is immoral, so I'm going to not pay my tax and go out in a blaze of gunfire glory with the IRS, right? That's just not what we're doing. So I think it's kind of tough to say to other people, you should have a courage in a more difficult situation than I have uh, in my relatively uh, well, easier situation. Well, I'll just I'll just tell you, I don't pay taxes, uh, and and I don't I, I don't maintain an income that is traceable by those people. In fact, I try to undermine and reject uh, the machine at every possible level that I can in my own personal life. And uh, uh, what I mean by that is that is that even the individuals, like we'll take the the, the Browns situation up in New Hampshire, they uh, stopped paying taxes, uh, got uh, overwhelmed b uh, by force, and you know now poor Lane has been sentenced to 35 years, and she's like 67 years old or something like that. Uh, so. You know, we'll take that example. Had that been me, had that been me, I would have refused to pay the taxes. I would have undermined the system that way. And when the, then when the system came to leverage consequences, I would have undermined those as well. You would have seen me run away to fight another day. You would have seen me undermine everything that the state and the, uh, was trying to do uh, to to leverage these consequences and, and thus perpetuate its power. And that's where I think the struggle is. I don't think that we have to necessarily say, OK, I'm going to resist this thing and stand here and die in the face of it that's that that i think it's in it's uh that's an error to view resistance that way resistance is multi-spectral just like the oppression is multi-spectral so if we in our resistance can start to think that that i have the opportunity and the means right now in my own personal life in my own reality to to begin to undermine this system on various levels of various levels of consequences and then determine to undermine those consequences as well i think that eventually what we're going to see is, is is a watershed moment where there's so many people resisting and in that in in that function that the that the gears just cannot continue to turn. Yeah, and the system fundamentally, at least my argument, and the system is not top down. The system is not guns pointing at everyone because that's not what we see. The system that I see that that supports the state is horizontal, and what that means is that if you go to you know your friend's house or a family gathering or whatever, and you start to talk about the principles of non-aggression, you start to talk about a truly free and voluntary society. It's not IRS agents or, or government agents who are going to get mad at you. Uh, it's usually the people right. who are in your life at a horizontal level, sort of your fellow slaves, so to speak, who are going to get upset with you. And it's terrified of freedom. Yeah, well, or just, yeah, it's like, don't, you know, I don't want you, don't feed me that pill either through my mouth or any other place that if I, my shoelace <laughs> is untied or something, right? I don't want that pill. And so I think that the way that, because if we understand that the state is really an effect, of the degree to which we attack each other for talking about freedom, that that's what they cash in on is the fact that we will generally get hostile at a horizontal level with people who talk about real freedom. Uh, the way to, to really undo the structure to me is to simply take a stand uh, in, in your relationships, in your life, uh, around freedom and around principles. You mean, nobody has to, but uh, that is certainly my suggestion. It's the road that I've taken, and I can tell you that it's been very successful for me and for a number of other people, but it certainly is a, a great challenge. Well, certainly the most uh, the most reasonable position tends to prevail. Uh, we're up against a break right now. I can't hear the bumper music, but this is Outside the Box. I'm hosting HX till Wednesday. We'll be right back. Taking a dip into the diverse mind of Alex Ansary, 
uh, on the program today as we uh, as we pay attention to his bumpers for the first time and notice how widely diverse they are. Boy, that guy's got a really widely diverse taste in music, doesn't he? I was just listening to that 80s song and uh, all the ties in my closet just got really narrow and leathery. It's pretty cool. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. You're not going to see that in any Disney film. <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, AlexAnswerChat.Chatango.com. AlexAnswerChat.Chatango.com uh, is the uh, chat room. You can also find that at uh, AlexAnswery.com. Uh, it's in the first column on the left-hand side. If you scroll down uh, to the bottom, right above where it says multimedia, in the uh, next section is a link that says visit chat room during show. And uh, you can uh, click that link, and that will get you right there uh, into the chat chat room uh if you've got any questions comments or concerns in the chat and you don't want to call in at 866-841-1065 you can post them in there and we will pose them uh to the good uh sir stefan mullineau although i shouldn't stay say that because we're kind of conspiratorial around here and people will start thinking like you're you've been knighted by queens and things so (laughs) i should i shouldn't say that (laughs) uh but we're back on the program this is a short segment uh so we're just going to get right back into it surplus labor uh, Stefan is a Marx uh, Marxist idea. Yeah, and uh, we're going to read a quote uh, from him about that, and uh, uh, we'll see how much time we have, and, and maybe you can uh, respond in the next segment because, like, this is the really short one. Uh, so uh, he says, "It is only after men have raised themselves above the rank of animals, when therefore their labor has been to some extent extent socialized, that a state of things arises in which the surplus labor of the one becomes a condition in existence for the other. At the dawn of civilization, the productiveness." acquired by labor is small, but so too are the ones which develop with and by the means of satisfying them. Further, at that early period, the portion of society that lives on the labor of others is infinitely small compared with the mass of direct producers. Uh, Along with the progress in the productiveness of labor, that small portion of society increases both absolutely and relatively. Besides, capital with its accompanying uh, relations springs up from an economic soil that it is that is the product of a long process of development. The productiveness of labor that serves as its foundation and starting point is a gift not of nature but of a history embracing thousands of centuries. How do you respond to that? Uh, I never liked him as a writer particularly. <laughs> I mean, I just find him kind of <laughs> you know like long-winded. Anyway, who am I to say? But. Um, yeah, the idea, the, the basic idea is that um, uh, you you pay a worker $10 an hour and you sell the products of his labor for $15 an hour. And because of that, you are stealing $5 from the worker and that's an injustice. And right. that's nonsense. I mean, that is complete nonsense. So, t- for example, one of my first jobs I got was um, putting together the New York Times. I got it when I was 11. I put together the New York Times on a Sunday in a bookstore. I loved it because I got free books, right? But uh, I put the, the, the Times together. I was paid like two bucks an hour or something like that. And uh, if I'd sit in a field and just move my hands in the same way, then I would obviously be producing nothing of value whatsoever and I'd probably be trespassing, right? So the fact that uh, I was able to make some money by making these movements is only because somebody had kind of built a store and a newspaper around my hand's movements. And it's that value which is why I was able to earn $2 an hour rather than zero sitting in a field. And so people forget the factory that is around the worker that has been built for the worker to be more productive. That's why he's getting right. the $10 so rather hold- than $5. Hold the thought on the factory. We're up against a break. Outside the box right now. We'll be right back with the, uh, one or two more segments with Stefan. Don't go anywhere. Phil Collins there on Outside the Box. I'm the HX filling in. And I could have swore Phil Collins in that bumper there just said, got to have, got to have a monkey, but it's all right. You know, you just, you just had to cue up a bald singer there, didn't you? You just had to. You couldn't resist. There was just no way out of that box, right? Hey, this is Outside the Box. Outside so, the Box, you know, right. 
I mean, you know, you never know what you're going to get here, Stefan. So we're uh, we're talking about sur- surplus labor. We're talking about uh, why this is false and that uh, that that uh, labor can't just go out into a field and wave its hands around and expect to be defined as labor. There has to be another side to that. So that's where we yeah, are. Yeah. So there's there's a, a whole a, a huge degree of investment that is created, and we're just talking about a free society here. And I mean, statism is a different situation to some degree. But sure. you you have a factory that is around. The worker, right? So the worker who's, you know, pushing and pulling and pushing and pulling something has to be attached to tens or hundreds of millions of dollars usually of invested wealth, right? That somebody has deferred savings or has done, you know, created some sort of profit, basically has deferred, uh, sorry, deferred spending in order to invest in a, ca- in, in, a, in a factory. So the capitalist has taken 10 million or $100 million and built a factory. And because of that, the worker is able to earn not just $1 a day, which is what you see in some of the third world countries and sometimes worse because they have no capital investment. The worker is able to earn $10 an hour rather than $1 a day. And so the worker is hugely better off than if the capitalist had not built the factory. So he is profiting from the capitalist uh, in the same way that, that you can profit from renting because you don't have to put down all the down payment and tie up all your money. Uh, you can profit from renting. So he's renting the equipment from the capitalist and the capitalist is renting the labor from the worker. And the combination of the two produces far greater wealth for both than if one or the other. And if the, the machinery is there but no workers, then there's no money. And if the workers are there with no machinery, then there's no money really. So the, the fact that it is a free and mutual exchange is really, really important uh, to, to understand. The fact that Marx banged his maid and produced a kid which he then abandoned is also <laughs> not unimportant when it comes to evaluating Marx as a thinker. If he's really all about right. let's not exploit the workers, how about not banging your maid and then dumping her in the gutter with a baby? You know, I, I don't mean to sound overly prudish, but I do like to see – I do like to think that thinkers have some adherence to the virtues that they inflict upon other people. So I just wanted to toss that in as a bit of salacious gossip that may have some relevance. <laughs> Good stuff. Good stuff. I, I'm no fan of Marx. I say let's get Jerry Springer on him. I, you know, the, uh, He's been so responsible for so many misperceptions and so much garbage that's you know been picked up. I mean, Anita Dunn. Anita Dunn praising Mao. I mean, this this stuff is related here. We've got, uh, you, you know, and this brings up uh, another topic that I wanted to talk about. And, and in the final segment, we're going to get you to respond to one of these criticisms of uh, of of the uh, ineffable Ayn Rand, uh, if you'd like to do that uh, before you go. Uh, uh, but we've got. It's just sometimes, Stefan. I just I go, man. Uh, 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 MacArthur or, or who was his name? The guy. Uh, crazy about uh, McCarthy? McCarthy, yeah. Yeah. I, was he right? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, in many ways, uh, Ann Coulter has an interesting book. I'm not a huge fan of everything she says, but she has a good book on McCarthy. Um, uh, yeah, he, he I'm was a huge right. fan I mean, of, the, of the bones at her neck. Yeah. No, I don't they, like anything else about him, but the bones at her neck are hard. <laughs> the, um, yeah. I mean, McCarthy was right insofar as if you could imagine – during the Second World War, that the State Department and the Foreign Department and so on were all infested with Nazis, which to some degree they was never some, but then then that would be a huge problem. And the fact that there was a, a sort of anti-Russian Cold War going on, and there were large amounts of communists infesting the uh, U.S. government, and they had uh, they had some real effect on the uh, the Yalta Conference, right, and how Europe was divided after the uh, Second World War. Uh, I think that, I mean, he was a crazy drunk and not a philosopher and all that, but I think that, and of course, the problem was that they, they don't attack the philosophy, they attack the people. You know, have you been in the Communist Party? Let's get this guy, let's have a witch hunt on this guy. And attacking the people is just a ridiculous way to avoid the real problem, which is you actually have to attack the ideology. It's so strange to think that America fought and bled and died, spent trillions of, of, of uh, dollars and, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of lives fighting communism only to end up with uh, a president who nationalizes entire industries, which is the very basis of communism. I mean, it's so tragic to see that when you fight people, not ideas, you always end up losing no matter how much you win against the people. You will always end up losing against the ideas in the long run. 
Well, I think this is one of the you're speaking to one of the major uh, one of the major blunders uh, that comes out of uh, out of like the Republican Party, who's, you know, tends to be less interested in the ideas uh, behind the politics and more interested in, in, in who they find to be most electable. Uh, you know, again, focusing on the individual rather than the rather than the ideas creating the op- creates the opportunity to inject other ideas that you may uh, not be so keen on. Uh, so I, that's that's a great point, Steph. Absolutely. Yeah, leave the leave the people out of it. I mean, it's not that the the, the people are entirely irrelevant, but you just keep talking about the principles, keep talking about the ideas, uh, keep talking about philosophy, keep talk about reason and evidence, and just stick with it all the way from A to Z. You know, as Churchill said, you know, when you've got the position that's reasoned and and is valid, never give up, never back down. Uh, and I think that's really important. The only thing that we should ever surrender to is better evidence and better arguments. Never uh, intimidation, never manipulation, never threats, uh, never bullying, only to better evidence and better arguments. And the degree to which people forget that and start focusing on people uh, is really tragic. It is absolutely – you may win a fight or two, but you will lose the war every time. Well, it's most certainly the Jerry Springer mindset. I mean, you know, uh, you don't know me. You don't know me. That's not my baby daddy. That's not my baby daddy. And, and you know, you go through these things and uh, you go through these these epic conflicts of social complex on, on those kind of broadcasts. And it kind of trains you to think in, in, in eight minute mode about, you know, things that really should take, you know, a good deal of, of, of introspection and analysis and so on and so forth. So I'm not really surprised. I'm not really surprised that, the uh, you know, the, perfa- the, the pervasiveness of mainstream media and all the reality tv is predicated on the idea of 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 people attacking other people watching these petty dramatic conflicts and the ratings go through the roof we see the same thing on this side of the fence when on this side of the fence individuals start going after other individuals and start uh, name calling and and dropping names saying saying this person or that person is scum and they're co-intelpro and they're a communist and they're talking all this and all that instead of focusing on the ideas ratings go up that's an unfortunate reality but there it is, and I think it's kind of pathetic, to be honest with you. Well, it, it's tragic, really, because, of course, in public schools, we're never taught to think. We're never taught to reason from first principles, because the moment that we reason from first principles, we would recognize that public schools are an immoral institution, right? So the teacher says to children, don't steal, right? Don't hit, don't push, don't steal, right? Uh, and then when the children get a little older and they realize that their parents are being forced at gunpoint to pay taxes to support the teacher's salary – it's a little tough for the teacher to say it is a principle that you should not use force to get what you want. It's like, well, teach yeah. isn't your entire job, your days off, your two months off in the summer, your pensions, your job security. Isn't that all, it's predicated, all predicated on, that. on a gun? We will be back after the break. Hold that thought. We're coming right back. Welcome back to the Danger Zone. You have found yourself outside the box. I'm the HX filling in for Alex Ansari until next Wednesday. We'll be here uh, the rest of this broadcast and Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Alex Ansari will be back on Thursday, I do believe. Uh, I think that's the plan. So we look forward to his return. And right now in this final segment with Stephen Molino And Steph, thanks so much for being with us again. It's just uh, fantastic, man. You just rain blows, thunderous blows of rationality down on me. And I just I, I love it. I eat it up every time we have a chance to talk. But we're going to get right back into this. Uh, so uh, so we give you an, as much time and we're going to uh, address a Marxist fallacy here as written by this guy, uh, Rust, uh, Rust Belt Radical dot WordPress dot com. Uh, and the article is entitled The Myths of Ayn Rand. And he writes in this fallacy number five. This is the one that uh, I'd like you to respond to uh, entitled The Capitalist Free Market Equals Freedom. And he says, according to Rand, freedom means only one thing, freedom from the threat of physical violence and it is the role of the state to ensure that freedom everything else is a matter of contract agreements freely drawn up between individuals on the basis of legal equality uh and he writes this is entire this is an entirely restrictive view of freedom of course real freedom is the freedom to develop your own individuality and creativity on the basis of freedom from hunger from pro- from poverty from disease from exploitation from intimidation and from the permanent exhaustion in- ex- imposed by capitalist work regimes uh uh parentheses it is no accident 
that the uh, center of modern capitalist work regime methods, the United States, is the sleep deprivation capital of the world. He adds, uh, by the way, uh, people do not confront one another uh, in the marketplace on the basis of freedom and equality, but on the basis of deep uh, structural uh, inequalities of class, race, and gender. So I think that pretty much wraps that up. What do you say? Well, I think those are some excellent, excellent critiques. Uh, I think that uh, if we look at America today, we can absolutely see class, race, and gender having a strong effect upon uh, people's economic freedoms to to in- interact. So, I mean, some some poor black kid, right? I mean, his schooling is going to be atrocious. Uh, he's going to be tempted by uh, if he comes from a you know ghetto or poor neighborhood. He's going to be tempted by. Uh, gangs and and drugs uh, uh, and uh, that kind of lifestyle, the gangster lifestyle, uh, and uh, he's going to have a great deal of difficulty getting employment uh, if he wants some sort of uh, a blue collar job because the manufacturing sector has been uh, been decimated. He faces much higher chances of uh, far higher chances of imprisonment, uh, you know, which goes on your permanent record, renders you largely unemployable, blah blah blah. So he's saying that these are problems in society. And of course, they're absolutely enormous problems within society. He also has a far higher likelihood of being born to a single-parent family, which has huge uh, negative effects upon children's potential. But if we, of course, if we look at these things rationally, we look at who's in charge of all of this. Well, who fundamentally is in charge or has a, the most influence over the structure of black families? Well, uh, it is uh, the state. Right through through uh, welfare, through subsidized housing, uh, and uh, outright uh, managing the ghettos and so on. Uh, who is it who educates this uh, this poor young black child? It is the state. Uh, who is it who uh, has created this insane drug war that uh, is corrupting every level of society and has particularly negative effects on those from poor neighborhoods? That is entirely the state's doing. I and mean, then we can go on and on, right? So, so when he's looking at the effects of somebody who comes... The state's doing even in so far as much as bringing the drugs actually into these neighborhoods. I've heard that too. Uh, so, uh, so if we look at how these things play out, then we have uh, a... Uh, uh, we look at the, the state as the fundamental problem. I mean, black families did not, uh, uh, you know, the welfare state did more to disintegrate the black family, even statistically as far as I understand it, than slavery did. And it is, um, uh, it is absolutely tragic what has happened to black families. They were getting out of poverty, they were rising to the middle class, and then bam, you know, one of the most racist things that came into being was some of the great society programs that, you know, by targeting the poor, and the blacks were poorer than whites at this point, created a, a more permanent underclass. And we can see the effects of this in this sort of ghetto culture and this worship of violence and still the degree of, uh, uh, of child abuse that can go on in the black community, which is higher than other, some other communities. So if we look at issues of – just, I'm just picking one, right? You'll pick any, any one of the, render, of the sort of gender, race, or class – um, it is really, really tragic uh, what has gone on. To blame freedom for this is so ass backwards. You know, it's like watching a pretzel try to navigate a map of the London subway system. It's just so twisted. It's bizarre. But this is what people do, right? They say, well, there are these problems, and the problem is freedom, so we need more government. And that is a really, really tough thesis to sustain when the government has had so much power uh, and authority and influence and and control over the black community. I mean, it is the government that is throwing all these blacks in jail, right, who are mostly nonviolent. Maybe they use some drugs or maybe they are involved in the drug war, uh, in the drug trafficking or whatever. These are not crimes in any free society. And so it is the state that has had the most power over the black communities. And so if people feel that, for instance, black communities are having a problem, and I think that they're having pretty significant problems, the last thing that you'd want is more state power, because if you do a thorough empirical and intelligent analysis of the problems, you can see that it is state power that has had uh, the greatest effect on creating these problems, and more power is only going to make them worse. Well, absolutely. I mean, when did we trade opportunity for welfare? Uh, you know, I mean, when did we trade choice for uh, for the safety, the social safety net? Uh, when did we trade freedom uh, for for being captured into a state that will uh, that will care for us cradle to grave? I don't want to be cared for the, by the state from cradle to grave. The state is not good at it. No, and what's going to happen to these and not just blacks, but what's going to happen to all the welfare recipients when the government runs out of money? I mean, you want to see great tragedies that arise out of these short-term violent solutions. Uh, you're going to see what happens when people start running out of money to pay off the underclass. Uh, you will see. And then uh, hopefully people will understand that it 
this, the people who are interested in a free society who genuinely care about the poor and the people who just want to shovel money around at the point of a gun have no care or concern for the poor because if they did, they would be questioning the role of the state rather than demanding an increase in its power. Yeah, absolutely, Steph. Just, just awesome, awesome responses. Uh, you know, we'll let you uh, respond real quick to uh, something from the uh, fr- from a chatter before you go. And uh, uh, well, no, in fact, we'll let that one go. What do you got coming up in the future here, Steph? Well, what is dr- what 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 kind of dreams are going on in that uh, in that epically admirable? <laughs> well, thanks. I appreciate you. Very very kind. Um, <laughs> well, I'm continuing to do my true news series, which you can get uh, on um, uh, where I do an anal- philosophical analysis of current events. Uh, I still have in the works, I have so many notes, I have a draft of a book called How to Achieve Freedom because I get lots of questions like, well, what's your solution? Stop being such a critic and let's talk about how we can actually achieve it. And so I'm working on that. But that's a long and vaguely scholarly work that's taking a lot of uh, of research to to get done. So that's going to be out at some point, you know, it's also tough, you know, with being a relatively new parent. My daughter is 10 months old, so it's a little tough to find the time for that really uh, the detailed work of um, writing a book. But continuing to put out the podcast, I have a Sunday show uh, every 4 p.m. at Eastern Standard Time. Just go to fdrurl.com forward slash call in to join uh, and, uh, you know, have a Skype ready or a, a telephone. And uh, I'm more than happy to take calls. Uh, anybody who has any questions, uh, I'm more than happy to to hear them. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you once again so much for joining us on the broadcast. I hope that we can do it again uh, in the not so uh, distant future. Uh, Just real quick, are you planning on homeschooling? Uh, undecided at the moment. Uh, we have checked out a local school that is private that uh, does appear to be quite good. Um, I'm not a big fan of reinventing education. I think the teachers are very well trained and specialized, but uh, she is such an amazingly active kid. I, I can't imagine how she's going to stay in a class for six hours a day. So we may end up doing that, but uh, I haven't really uh, made any decisions as yet. Well, thanks so much Thank for you. the call. Thank you. I appreciate it. We will see you again soon. Thanks, there you go. Great show. Thank you very much. Stefan Molino from freedomainradio.com. Headed out there. We'll see you again another time. We'll be right back for the last half hour. Don't go anywhere.